a hardcore kind of like sales leader by the MQLs until like mid 2018. If April 2018, Jake heard this Jake, he'd like punch him in the face. He'd be like, dude, brand, that's the arts and crafts. But now look, I've done it for my business. We're closing millions of dollars of organic LinkedIn ads spinning zero. And I think B2B is boring, dude, boring. I think brand is ready for a comeback. And so that goes back to what you can't measure does matter. And I think the answer is both. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Jake Dunlap. Jake's the CEO of Scale. And in this episode, Jake and I are talking about an article that he posted on LinkedIn a few months ago about five predominant myths that we find in sales. Now, you really want to listen to this conversation because I think it's safe to say that, well, I had a few issues with Jake's myths. And however, I really enjoyed sparring with Jake because this is the type of open, honest discussion that needs to happen more frequently in sales. Because quite honestly, B2B sales is in a bit of a mess. And there are a lot of issues that need to be addressed. And it's only by engaging in these types of open, honest conversations We'll be able to start moving the ball forward. So I really enjoyed Jake joining me for this. So stick around, check it out. Now, before you get to Jake, I want to remind you, though, to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jake, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. New home. New home, same you. I love it. <laughs> New home, same me. <laughs> Some people are probably wishing for a new me, but uh, they, they got they got the same me. Nah. So, uh, well, you've got a new home. You moved from New York City to Austin, Texas, since the last time we spoke. Wow, it's been that long. Yes, that is that is correct. It's been almost two years now. Wow, uh, I, and it's uh, it's been great. We're loving it. So, why? Uh, I mean, for us, look, as you're scaling a business, and you know, we're not a, a venture backed business. Mm -hmm. um, there's easier places to do it than Soho. Uh, so, <laughs> and I oh, love really? New York. Yeah, I love New York. And, and, you know, I was going back every three to four weeks. I kind of had the best of both worlds um, until COVID hit. Um, yeah. Well, so, like I, yeah, I was, yeah. You know, doing bi coastal to that. Yeah. Exactly. So it's kind of nice. So I, I still, I love New York. I don't know. I'm trying to talk to my wife that, hey, if there's some point, maybe we'll, we'll be back at some point. But, um, no, Austin's great, amazing tech scene, um, great culture. Just it's, mm -hmm. it's an awesome, awesome place. And now I feel like everyone. I mean, the amount of the New York and California people coming to Austin is just amazing. <laughs> so I'm loving it. Yeah, until the traffic comes to a complete stop and the property prices catch up with every place else. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. We got in earlier, earlier, right? Earlier, -er. yes, earlier. Yeah. Seattle at one point was that destination. Yeah, let's go to Seattle. Right, exactly. Then California people ruined that too, I think. So <laughs> I think a lot of people are worried about that same thing. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, there was the, uh, oh, back, gosh, this was like in the early 90s when there was sort of this outward migration from California to Oregon. And there was this famous bumper sticker that they had in Oregon as, don't Californicate Oregon. <laughs> That's I've already seen him here. Oh, you have? All right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the last time I flew from San Diego to Austin, I talked to people on the polite that have a recent transfers to Austin. So, yeah, it's happening. So, but one of them was commuting. One didn't move. One was commuting. Wow. So, yeah. 
I wouldn't want to do that. No, so, so you talked about the pandemic. And the question I'm asking all my guests these days is, what was the biggest lesson, or what is the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself during the pandemic? About me, yeah. I think that one of the big, one of the big, I guess you know, takeaways is, and I, maybe a lot of sales leaders had this, but I can speak for myself. I feel like sales has always been kind of a culture where you know it's like you got to be in the office and the energy's got to. We need to be there. We got to be putting our thumb on these people. And I, and we were already about probably 50, 60% remote. So mm-hmm. culturally, but, mm-hmm. but I think what I was able to observe and what I think what I learned is that, you know, people are pretty self-sufficient, you know, if they have clear goals, they can go hit them. So I think the, the just the, the, the mindset shift away from that an office is necessary to maintain culture, to have fun, to be engaged, to do hard, amazing work is, is maybe a little untrue, you know, and that are there, there's certainly benefits to face to face. And, you know, we've, we've done a few small things here or there, but um, I, I think I've just been amazed at the resiliency of, of, of others. And that's, that's really reflected on me and being, you know, how I think even about going forward and building, building my company. Yeah. So I think there's danger though, that, that uh, <laughs> a lot of leaders are extrapolating to the long term, based on a very small sample size, and you know, it's one thing that when people are forced to work remotely. But I've been reading more and more stuff uh, about about this and surveys of CEOs. There's a two part thing. I think it was Wall Street Journal last week interviewing CEOs about this, and a fairly broad consensus that. Yeah, maybe not everybody's coming back, but we are coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifty percent, sixty percent. Yeah, was mm-hmm. oftentimes sort of the number used, and I think, I think that sounds about right. I do too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at what Yahoo, what Yahoo did, right? It was uh, Melissa, right? Melissa Mayer, mm. who who Yahoo had had, <laughs> had went to a hundred percent remote call, I believe. Yeah. And again, I, I could be kind of misquoting slightly. Well, and then she and came then she back. Called and, back. Yeah, yeah, and she's like, uh, "This isn't working." So we've already seen a, a big tech company that tried to to do it and then realized, like, "Whoa, productivity, etc." Actually, slipped. So I think that that's right. I think the new normal is going to be some hybrid approach. Um, you know, where you're in the office for certain days for certain meetings, um, you're working from home when it makes sense. It's less of a stigma. I think, I think, I think maybe that's what it's done. It, yeah. it, it's kind of removed the, sti- the stigma from it and, and the ability of like, if someone's working from home, they're actually, you know, sipping a margarita at 1030 <laughs> and golf, hanging yeah. by the pool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No yeah. well, morning drinking. Well, that's an idea. I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> that could be, that could be a new habit to start. There you go. Um, yeah. Um, my new habit was eating all the things my wife baked during shutdown. So, uh, <laughs> well, alcohol sales are up twenty six percent during COVID. So yeah, I think a, a lot more people are doing that. Yeah, well, I may have to go to Betty Ford for my sourdough addiction, but uh, <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I definitely gained the COVID nineteen. So, um, anyway, working on that. All right. Well, you you I want to talk about something you'd posted not that long ago on LinkedIn about five sales myths. And uh, I just want to run through those because I thought I thought there was a lot of interesting fodder for discussion there. Uh, right. you, remember, you remember that article? I do, for sure. Okay, all right. So, um, so your first myth was, myth that's, the myth is that sales isn't a science. So let me ask you the question. Why do you think sales is a science? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I'll tell us a little bit of, of story of how I arrived here. Um, for me, I had done, I had done sales in college, um, came out of sales, worked in professional sports for two and a half years in sales. I was very successful top one or two, um, in, in both teams that I work for selling, and then I, group selling tickets, tickets and then moving up into sponsorships and big, in big premium seat deals. So Which I mean, teams? I moved up, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. And, and by the way, this is not the, t- the current Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. This is a, <laughs> the Oh, three, four, five Tampa okay, Bay Rays, right. which were the worst in baseball. Right. And then the Phoenix Coyotes, um, when Oh, five, Oh, six. And you did also, this all remote from New York? No, 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 no. I live there. No, you live there. Okay. Got yeah, it. no, I, I grew up in Kansas city. Go Chiefs for those who don't know, and uh, then moved to to Tampa, then Phoenix for five years, San Francisco for two and a half, New York for six. God, so okay. I'm originally a Kansas City person. Um, so so what I realized, I went to Career Builder right in Phoenix. So I left, I got out of sports, and it was like let let you know maybe think about something different. And um, I, I was in my training class. I was the second to last person. I hadn't sold anything right, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm Jake Dunlap. I'm God's gift to sales. How how have I, how have I not sold anything? I can't believe this. And I went to my director and, and my director goes, dude, why aren't you reading the script and following the process? I'm like, (laughs) Evan, I'm Jake Dunlap. I'm an amazing seller. And he goes, dude, do you think we train a thousand people on this process because it doesn't work? And it was like the, like a light bulb, the light bulb didn't go off and it like exploded Mm. in my head. Mm -hmm, And I'm mm -hmm. like, huh? Well, probably not. He goes, exactly. He's like, dude, just trust me that we've laid out this process in a way that is optimized and what, you know, and that you'll be able to put your own spin on it, et cetera. And, and then I closed 60,000 in new business the next month. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my gosh, wait. So there is a right and a wrong way to move people. There's a right way to start a meeting. There's a right order of operations of questions. There's a right way to talk about the product. You know, in a way that's you know, you know, um, issue then solution based. There's a right way to put together a proposal, and so and if you couple that, that that's more of like the tactical like like steps in the process. You couple that with the science of psychology, that the way that you phrase things, the subtleties of a pause when I bring my voice down here, how you tend to lean in, and whenever I talk louder, you tend to. So there's not just a science in terms of the process that you move people through. There's also the science of people. And, and sometimes we, it was, I think too much, we think it's all art and made up. Well, it's really not. These are all people are just executing psychological principles or they're executing components of a good discovery. Just, you know, what is that? uh, Unconsciously competent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I sort of look at the science a little bit differently because I mean, sure. We've got processes. We, we know, that they work to a certain point, right? We know that if we do this, we get a certain right. result out of it. That's right. And, and let me just clarify, Andy, because I do sure. want to clarify. The art is the difference between a B and an A player. I can build an army of B players if they're coachable. And that that is the difference. It, it, but but the, the people who believe it's pure art is bullshit. That it's not that there are there are things that you are doing, whether you realize or not, that are based on best practices, that are based on human nature, that are based on other elements. So I just want to add that caveat because it is true there is an art element for sure, but don't get it twisted. The art making it all art is is BS. It's just what separates elite from good. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I agree it's mixed. I'm not sure I know where that dividing line is, quite frankly, because, you know, we tend to, you know, let's say take our data that we get from looking at our conversion rates and so on, and there's so much missing context in the data that we draw an obvious lesson from it. But, you know, in the case of your script, let's say, with, with that you're using, sure, it worked a certain percentage of the time, but maybe a better one would have worked twice as much with right. better science, right? Absolutely. And so it's, it's it, you know, there's an assumption when we say science that somehow it's optimized. And no, I think one of the things no, that no, we're, no. Yeah. one of the things we're really missing in a true science thing, and also, you know, the psychological, you know, behavioral economics and so on is, is, you know, those things work a part of the time, right? I mean, they're not, when they did the studies of, you know, well, I was take loss aversion, you know, being one is, is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's now in the process of being, somewhat repudiated new studies coming out that yeah loss aversion actually isn't a thing so you know we have to be careful about what we think is is happening with the the customers i want it's evolving right and i think i think what you're picking up on it's a really good point andy is customer behavior is changing therefore that the things must evolve and well, I think our understanding is is changing i don't know if their behavior is changing i think it's can we understand them better than what we thought we knew before. So the science is evolving, whether people are changing exactly. or not. That I would say the science is evolving. People aren't don't evolve that quickly. But but I, one thing I'm always sort of curious about is one thing that's really missing in sales from like a science standpoint is you know we've never done wide scale sort of controlled double blind studies of sales. You know, like we would do for for new mm-hmm. medications or something to show that you know the efficacy of specific actions in certain circumstances. You know that something you know conducted with rigor because what we have that passes for research today in sales is all self-reported behaviors, not observed behaviors. And I, and we sort yeah. of pass those surveys off as science. I'm like, well, that's not science. That's just somebody saying this is what they do. Yeah, which we know that there's issues with that too. Well, look. The more artistic we make sales, the more job security and the more money we make. The sales has a perverse incentive to not be a science. Sales has a perverse incentive to not be systematized. The second we admit that there's a process, the second that we admit that um, there's a standardized way, like gap accounting, to actually do sales, that you're right. But again, keep in mind, there's, that's a difference like, between a good accountant and a great accountant. And we're not, I'm not and, and when I talk about the science of sales, I'm not talking about great accounts. I'm talking about good accounts. They all follow gap. <laughs> they all follow the exact same well, accounting principles. Okay. In sales, we refuse to believe that this could possibly exist when in reality it does. And let me just walk you, I'll just walk you through it very plainly. Sure. This, here's a here's a sales process for B2B. And my friends, I want you to really, I want you to hit pause after this, and then I want you to go really look through your last 10 deals, close one, close loss, and tell me if this isn't exactly what happened, okay? Step one, there's two phases, two ways you get in. One is through a decision maker or higher level, one is below. I'll start with the end user. The end user, you get somebody who's somewhat interested. You go through, you do a high level discovery. Oh, wow, Susan, this is interesting. Guess what? Then, Then what do they do? They get more people on their team. Then you do a broader demo to that broader group. Then the goal is to then get a meeting with their boss to decide if there's budget to be able to move forward. Then you get buy-in from the boss to do some type of proof of concept. And, and only and only if it's successful, then we'll move forward to something larger. Then you go back to the end user and you walk them through it. You run a, you run a very successful proof of concept over 30 to 60 days and you close the deal. 
or you go into the decision maker. And after the first call, you say, Roger, next steps, I'm going to set up a meeting and a demo with your frontline people, make sure it's something that they love. Then you do a demo with their team. Great. It's something they love. Now you come back to Roger and you talk about budget and then you move forward into proof of concept and you set clear KPIs for success and you move forward. That is sales. And literally almost every deal, like an accordion, it's a little bit longer. There's more stakeholders if it's enterprise and it's shorter if it's, you know, you could condense some of those steps as the end user and decision maker in a transactional sale. That is sales. Every time. It's that pattern, right? And I'm talking about software sales, and, and, but by any fact, mm. that there's just mutations for other versions of this. But that is, you can boil it down to that in almost every case. There's just mutations of that original, like, blueprint. Well, but that's a very sales-centric way to look at it. So, I mean, take the Gartner chart on the buyer journey. It's how people buy. Well, but look at the, how's that aligned, though, with what, let's say, Gartner put out in their their buying journey study that came out two years ago that, if you saw their, what they call their spaghetti diagram with very complex diagram of the buyer's journey, but its core were four jobs that buyers accomplish. Problem identification first. Yes, that's a discovery Solution. Solution exploration, which is identifying exactly. the alternatives for how they can. Three, choosing a path to follow. Four, selecting a vendor to follow that path with. It's identical. It's literally identical. You run a discovery. Is there, is there here's something next? Conversation number two. Okay, here's exactly how we're going to be able to work with you or help you. Again, where you have the broader group of people that come together. Then maybe behind closed doors, they go and look at a few other vendors. Then you move into some type of proof of concept. Or if it's a bigger product, you don't have it, then there's just more of that joint solutioning and then they buy. It's the same. Okay. Just it, Do you start at the top or do you start at the bottom? Either way, I need to get these people to love it and make sure that they see utility in it. I need this person to understand the, bi- the bigger picture like benefit of this. It's identical. Like I, say, I don't. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I, I did, yeah, it, it's it's the same. All right. Let's move on to the second myth is that you had is that sales is all the myth is the sales is all about relationship building. So, tell me what you mean by that. Well, the, the fact that because Pete, you're likable, um, uh, or uh, you know that we're we're pals, that we're going to do business together. I think that there's a, you know, and challenger sale is really the first kind of bombshell to drop on like, Hey, guess what? The relationship builder is not a top persona, but I think in enterprise sales in particular, I think there's an overemphasis on being likable and being cordial and being, you know, polite and, and, you know, challenger sales is kind of the first step, but I think as buyers become busier, right? We're more inundated with more information than ever. Now we're moving digital. You know, it's about, you know, and again, it's always been that idea of like a trusted advisor. But I feel like now more than anything is buyers are looking for people who can give them facts. You know, like help me to be smarter. That part is, is not changed. Um, it, but it's less about like, do I like Ryan and want to play golf with him as opposed to what's the utility you can provide me and my business? Yeah, and certainly agree that the day of the, the lunches and golf and so on. I mean, that's, but that to me is not, I know it's what Challenger is talking about. They're talking about relationships, but that's not really a relationship. My virtue of being, you know, if you look at what just the definition of relationship is, you know, the way in which two or more people are connected. If you're dealing with a prospect, you have a relationship with them. It's about functional relationships, a relationship of utility. But I, you know, when I hear, I know, but when I hear people, when I hear people talk sales. about relationship, is like, what is the relationship? You have. You have, or you're in a relationship with a person if you're selling to them. You're in a relationship. You're not friends. 
but why are we trying to tell people it's not important? Because actually, actually I'll disagree with you on the likability. I think in an absolute sense, do you need to be likable? No. We've all know jerks have gotten orders. But I think it's silly, actually, to tell people they shouldn't try to be likable. Of course because, you should try to be likable. Because, course. But that's sort of what's coming across is it's a myth. But that that's not why likable. they buy. They don't buy because they're likable. Well, whoa, whoa. How do you know? How do you because know? So let me ask you a question. T- let me ask a question. Yeah. yeah. On your last deal that you won, what was your margin of victory? How much did you win by? Quantify it. How much did you win by? 1%? Uh, 2%? Are you talking 10%? about how much did, like, compared to the competition? Yeah. If you won by the competition, and even the competition was status quo, staying still, what was your margin of victory? Well, I, why, why is there a comparison? Well, but, but, but here's the thing is every little thing adds up. I mean, you don't have to be likable. But, yeah, I believe, and my experience has shown me over 40-plus years, is that you can never know what's going to make a difference. So everything is additive, you know, the sort of aggregation of marginal gains theory, that every little wow. thing is important. So if you have the opportunity to be likable, why wouldn't you? Of course you should be. I think, look, I think, I think there's a, there's a, a nitpick on the word. I, I think when we talk about sales and we talk about relationship building, okay, let, let's be, let's be clear about what we're talking about first. Okay. When it comes to relationship building, I think most people, if I said, when I say that, what do you think of? They don't think of the relationship equals business impact. They think of the people that rely. And let's, let's be very clear, rely on likability, on palling it up, on being friendly and being cordial, rely on it, that the, that, that part of the relationship is the crux of the partnership. To your point, of course you want to be likable. Of course you want to do these other things. But it's not why people do business with you. And the point is, is that it's a myth to think that if, if I, would, I would over-index on being a thought partner to a business as opposed to being a buddy to the decision maker. It's not, zero, it's not zero one either way. You're right. right but, I, but, I think, but I think we're long past the day where people thought that the relationship and B2B sales entailed the buddy. I oh, mean, man. I think at least <laughs> go think, look at big enterprise sales, man. Go, go, go talk I to your my average life in big enterprise sales. Go to go talk to your average person, you know, who's sitting behind a desk for the first time and, you know, struggling to know how to sell. Go talk I mean, to, I, I sold, I sold hundreds of millions of dollars of stuff over my career for the first 25 years of my career. I didn't play golf you, once. With a, I didn't. I didn't play golf once with a client. That's you. That's you, Andy. But You're it's not the people. It's everybody. the people I knew as well. There were some companies that did. But my point is, yeah. Twenty years ago, that started dying out. We're not I mean, there. there. It's not dead. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but I just want to give people context, is because I think that I think that you know when people talk about this, you know, the myth of the relationship is is and the reason I. You say nitpick on it, but I think it's not a nitpick. I think it's really important people understand is you have a human relationship with this person you're selling to or the people you're selling to. It doesn't mean they're friends by any stretch of imagination. But I think the amount but, but, is, but the ability to connect at a human level is still paramount in order to be a business advisor and in order to be a thought advisor to them and so on. If you don't have that, if their perception of you is negative. Off the get-go, they're not going to hear you. Well, that's well. I think you're talking about the difference between relationship and trust. Like, do they have to trust you? You need that connection to get trust. 
doesn't trust a relationship? Depends on, it depends, right? I could trust you, like the same person that you might trust to do business with, um, or you might trust um, the, the level of trust it takes to watch my kids versus for me to write you a che- versus, versus for me to write you a check for for twenty five thousand dollars is it's night different. and day. Absolutely, I exactly. use that example. That's why I'm laughing because I use that example. Is yeah, I trust at a business level, but I'm not going to have them babysit my kids. But I still have a relationship, and I don't want to get, go down the rabbit hole on this. But I think we just I think words matter, and I think people are confused by this. So, so let's say so. Let, let me I'll, I'll, let me put so a pen here's, in my here, side. Well, of it. here's yeah. here's here's how I phrase it. You have a connection with this person, and this connection is for the purpose of helping them do what they need to do to make a purchase decision. And it requires a certain level of human interaction that includes, it doesn't hurt and it helps you in aggregate to be likable, to be human, to have empathy, to build trust, which are all part of that connection. And that connection could be defined as a relationship, but let's call it a connection because people seem to be so sensitive about this word relationship. Correct. Oh, good. Yes. We're in violent agreement. Okay, here we go. <laughs> On to the next one. I, I, yeah, I think it's the word relationship. I, I think if I can, it, the word relationship in, in the ter- context I'm using is if you think about a scale of zero to 100, it's the over-reliance on a personal connection versus business partnership. And that that's maybe a better way to define it in yeah. kind of going well, back. And I think the I think the people that took the lead in changing that, starting I call it twenty years ago, roughly, but were the buyers. And yeah, for, if there's a salesperson who still thinks, to your point, that that's how they're going to succeed, then they're not paying attention to the people they're selling to. I agree. So, all right, um, myth three: you need an internal champion. So, why is this a myth? Uh, yeah. And again, I'm going to, knowing where we went with relationship, I'm going to go ahead. I'm (laughs) going to go ahead. Don't don't presume anything here. I'm not presuming. I think, I think I'm, let me define it because you're talking, yeah, this is a a five word soundbite from LinkedIn, right? So I think it's important to give some context. The the point of this is reliance. And I think what, what Mm -hmm. I, what I see and observe is that there's a lot of sales methodologies and processes to say, you know, step two, who's our champion in this. Mm -hmm. And, and what I've seen historically in my career is that when you have a true champion, oh, it is awesome. I mean, like, but guess what? The time, the times that you get that person (laughs) who literally, it's like once every few years, right? You know, they they take you through the process, they tear down. I, what I what it is is don't rely on other people to do the job for you. And what I mean, and the most common part that this comes up, Andy, is when you put together the plan, you put together the plans for partnership, and then you really you hand over the keys to some person versus mm-hmm. you being multi-threaded within that organization yep. to where you've got people who are advocates. Don't get me wrong. That's good. You need advocates at each yep. level and each in different departments. But thinking that a champion is going to get the deal done for you and articulate the, the partnership is, is a fallacy. And, and instead of the amount of sellers I see that try to sell through this champion, right? Versus knowing, look, it's my job to get in front of these people versus hand over the keys. So therefore I need to build relationships throughout this at all levels versus expecting my champion to take me to these people. It, it's, need- it's the proactiveness that, that, that I'm highlighting there. You said you needed to build what throughout? 
relationships <laughs> okay. by my definition, not the not the common definition. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. I know, I know. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on this one. It's it funny you, you, you said reliance because that's the way I, I had written in my notes here. I said, well, yeah, a better way to phrase that is you can't rely on there being an internet, internal champion, nor should you. And absolutely right. So you need, as you said, you need those acumen, you, the acumen, you need those skills that enable you to, to drive the decision forward. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not going to rest. I think that that's it. I'm not going to rest on the fact that I've got an okay thing here. I'm going to go out and make it happen. I'm going to go get those relationships. I'm not going to, you know, just if I don't get the relationship, I don't. And again, I'm talking, you know, about larger, you know, yeah. you know, deals. And I feel like that's where so many reps fall short. Well, and I think what they do with this idea, and I think this sort of started with the idea of, uh, of this, you know, research about more stakeholders being involved in a decision. Therefore, yeah. sort of, yeah, there's a mobilizer, but it's sort of, you know, defeats this idea of an internal champion is, is that you still need to go find the person or the people who have the most at stake with the decision, who care most about the outcome, be affected by the outcome. And yeah, they may not have the power to be an internal champion, but they will be the advocate as you talk about. And you need advocates. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100% on that one. All right. Uh, myth four. If it's not directly generating leads and conversions, it's not worth my time. So we're going to spend some time on this one. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. So tell us what you mean by that. Oh, man. I'm with you on this one. So where, I, don't know, I don't know where it started. No, 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 no. I'm not. Where, uh, yeah, no. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know where it started. Well, maybe predictable revenue. And I love Aaron. And Aaron and I actually caught up last night. And, and I've got it. But I really feel like it was right until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he, and I mean, obviously he's written follow on books, um, as well too. Sure. But, but what happened is what we started to, we, we started to simplify sales to, if you get X widgets, it equals Y whatever's to Z whatever's to X deals. Yeah. And, and, math. and that Just math. It, it was, it was math because, and I think this is the variable. If you're a marketer, sales leader, I really want you to pay attention to this. It was okay to look at it that way when the activities, the first component, the very first thing was a one-to-one, um, uh, uh, not interaction, a one, it, when that correlated to a sale. What do I mean by that? When an activity, every email, every call, every inbound lead was someone who you were trying to set a meeting with right. or came in expressing interest. Right. If, if every activity... But guess what today? We're asking sales reps to post on LinkedIn. We're asking sales reps to send videos. We're asking reps to do things that either can or can't be tracked. And, and we're compensating. So that's that's problem one. And you know what? Before I go in, I'm gonna go into the comp as the other part of this problem. Sure, sure. But that, but that's one. And let's sit and we can sit here and talk about this. Is that it used to be, it used to be like that. But now we're the the outbound efforts, and I'll talk about outbound in particular. Mm-hmm. The same goes for inbound people that think, uh, it, again, go, let's go back to 2010. How many people were producing ebooks? Not as many. So guess what? When someone downloaded it, maybe they had a higher intent. Now, yeah. every day, there's 2 million blog posts published. How many ebooks? I don't know, 10,000, 5,000? I don't know. And so the intent of humans has now changed so wildly that the one-to-one-to-one of activities versus outcomes as a predictor of sales is gone. Right. And and we've got to move away from tr- purely tracking and thinking that we, if we just hammer the more button, 
that it's going to put out more sales because the equation's broke. Which is still the primary MO for <laughs> more most SaaS companies. Yes. More. I, I, I can't tell you. I mean, how many SDR teams? I was talking to an SDR. Oh, I won't mention that. Obviously, I won't mention the company, but you know, they were doing a, a blitz at the end of the month. And they're rewarding because, you know, Susan made, you know, 700 activities. Yay, Susan. Mm-hmm. She wanted, she just wanted, she hated her job. She, <laughs> she didn't and yeah. still finish second, you know, and like, man, what about being, what happened to being clever? God, like, you know, it's right. like, and, and like, so, so we're pushing all of our clients to measure first outcome, which we call like a meaningful conversation or interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can define it however you want. It could be someone's, you're in the process of booking a meeting. Someone directs you to the right person. There, there's a bunch of different ways and really it depends on your business, but start tracking that instead of the, MQ, you know, kind of as, a, and then that two meeting set meetings ran, then you get back to that one-to-one and then the equation becomes smooth again. But well, I want to encourage teams to be creative. Yes. Two. You know, I was going to say, I, just a simple illustration I used to, for that is, you know, someone said, oh, somebody's making 50 calls a day. So, you know, they're being productive or if they make 55, they've increased their productivity. And I'm like, well, if you had a factory that was building a widget and you built 100 widgets an hour, but 50 of them had to be thrown away because they didn't work, is your productivity 100 widgets an hour or 50? And it's like, same with our leads. Is You know, why are we measuring... To your point, I think, is leads if they don't have a productive oh, outcome. There you go. Now that goes to the second part. Yeah. Marketing is compensation. Uh, marketing is being compensated on MQLs and SQLs. Mm-hmm. So guess what that incentivizes? Jam it through. If marketing's main compensation, and it, by the way, this is not marketing's fault either. Sales, I, so by no means am I saying that. I do think that marketing and sales should both be tied to revenue. Um, but marketing has been, so this goes back to my whole point. Marketing has been told, throw out brand, throw out uh, PR, throw out, you know, all the things that made that, that were the other side of the coin. And it's so funny. I tell this story to you because I, yeah, I was a hardcore kind of like sales leader by the MQLs until like mm-hmm. mid 2018 until like literally. And I, I tell I'm like, if April 2018 Jake heard this Jake he'd like punch him in the face he'd be like dude <laughs> brand that's the arts and crafts but now look I've done it for my business we're closing millions of dollars of organic LinkedIn ads spinning zero right you know and and I think b2b is boring dude boring and I'm t- I think brand is ready for a comeback and so that mm-hmm. goes back to what you can't measure does matter and I think the answer is both that we right. need to we need to change marketing's incentives um, to be aligned. We need to change SDR incentives to be aligned with sales. Uh, we need to change sales attitudes about if it's not perfectly wrapped up in a bow. Like, dude, that's your job. Create, exactly. Man, man, I used to, I mean, maybe you're familiar with the term create the need. Guess what? Yeah. If it was called information giving, I'd slash your salary by 66%. You know, and so we've got to have kind of a reckoning here of like common sense and, and getting these organizations between marketing, sales development, and sales aligned around the common goal, which is revenue, and, and, and really treating these groups how to work together. And that does start at the top, and it starts with compensation, that if each group is compensated for just their one part of the widget, it's the same reason you have uh, friction between sales and customer success. Salesperson doesn't care. They're jamming the deal through. Mm-hmm. Somebody churns, eh, who cares? I got my commission. We're right. trying to push our clients to where a rep gets 80% of their commission on deal close, 20% on power usage. 
Mm -hmm. I think every single sales organization that has a handoff model should use that. Like immediately, it will increase the quality of your deals. If you change that reps get compensated, a, a, a component of their commission when the person actually uses it. Yeah, have so a longer all tail these for the, Have a longer tail for the AE. Absolutely, something, something in there, and it's not all of it. Yes, of course, all of it. Should, most of it should be when the deal closes. But just think about all those silos I just mentioned. And again, now go back to you know we were talking about the customer. So, so we got we're going on like a different track now. But, but just think about what I said. So, there's all these things that people should be doing, but they're not because you can't track it. And their boss says if I can't track it, it doesn't matter. Building well, brand as a marketer, being creative <laughs> as an SDR, you know, like. Um, working maybe deals that I shouldn't as a salesperson because hell, who knows, even though it doesn't fit the criteria, let's roll the dice and oh my gosh, what do you know? It turned into an $85,000 deal. So, well, but I, yeah. Don't, but don't you think part of the reason this is happening is just as you said, and I'll put another spin on it, is that because they're doing all these things that they shouldn't be doing, but they can, right? Because the technology now enables us, we'll make these calls, we'll send these emails, we'll do this, this you know, sort of mindless activity that you are referring to earlier. Because we can, and then it drains us of the ability to do something that's creative. Because I think is that too many sales leaders operate from a position of fear. I know what my numbers are. I yeah, know what the metrics are. I can it. generate this. This is predictable mm-hmm. for me. But they don't think about how I could do it better. Yeah. So instead, they get protective of what the position. There's two parts there. Because when we can get into this always optimizing, which is, which is a whole other kind of post, like COVID, what COVID made us realize. But, but I want to go back to it. What, what I feel like is happening, and, and maybe you agree, um, is our windows as sales leaders, is we are continuing to look less and less and less at the mid and long term. Mm-hmm. We're more and more scared. Whereas as a sales leader, you know, I was, I was, I was uh, talking to a webinar yesterday where we talked to a marketing leader about this. It's 80-20. 80% of my time is dedicated to the now, the month, quarter. 20% of my time is dedicated to the year and next right. year. And if you, if you aren't doing that, as a leader, then you're always on the defense. I call it being on the defense, you know, block, block, mm-hmm. block, as opposed to the offense. I want to show up to, to December and I'm executing the plan that we laid out and adjusted from September or mm-hmm. from better yet, July. And so I feel like leaders are, uh, like you said, they feel that pressure and, and aren't playing the long game. They're not, or even the mid game to realize, you know, man, what if I did let my SDRs connect with every single person in their patch on LinkedIn and then mm-hmm. I had them comment and like on their post before I sent an email. Hmm. Shocking. Shocking. Hmm. But I can't track it. I can't track comments and likes. So I'm going to scourge mm. them, which they do. They mm. actively discourage exactly. that happening. Exactly. I mean, this, Even this, though it's this, common this, sense, you right. know that that's smarter. There's nobody you can tell me. Like, it's not better for Andy to be like, oh, wait, who's this person? Because guess what? Most people get zero comments on their posts because they're just resharing people's posts. If your SDR goes in comments once one week, once the next week, that person remembers your person. You can't yeah. tell me that's not better than a, a cold call saying like, I've ne- you've never heard of me. Absolutely. Well, so but that, it, that's, it plays, when, that's there. There are things that you can't measure that matter. That That is where that comes from. Well, but a lot of that comes from sort of our digital marketing era. You know, I can't exactly. tell how many marketers I've talked to. Well, we can't do that because I can't measure it. It's like because I get comped on MQLs. Yeah. It's I get like, comped on MQLs and SQLs, Andy. Why right. do I care? Same why do thing, I care about brand? Reason, well, exactly. Why do I care right. about brand? And it's the same reason why marketing stopped helping sales like it used to and stopped supporting growth in current customers because they don't get compensated when a current customer upsells. They don't get compensated when a deal gets put. Well, maybe they get a small, but mm. they're not, you know, hey, so that activity of, you know, investing in my sales enablement team of, 
you know, creating more content? What's the ROI of creating five variations of my case studies that are based on micro verticals that's going to help my team increase their close rate um, right in the now? In the long term, it's the right play and it's going to make you more money. But I'm under the gun today. Yeah. And that, that to your point, precisely, drives so much uh, activity, quote unquote, if you will, on the part yeah. of marketing is, yeah, to be able to hit that number. Um, all right. So last one. And unfortunately, we're Hopefully we have enough time to fit this in is um, myth five, organic social traffic is worthless. So you sort of touched on this before, but let's let's dive in this one because this is an important one as well. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just look at B2B. I mean, my uh, ugh, right nine times I, I would say my guess is 90 plus percent of marketers schedule posts on a Friday or, or for the month in advance and they just <laughs> post. And they wonder why there's no ROI. No engagement. If, yeah. And guess what? And and by the way, it when social media first came to rise, and, and this is for my B2B friends, it was a waste of time. LinkedIn wasn't a social platform where people went to for news or information. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn was a job space. But right. guess what? My friends, life's changed and dramatically like changed in the last two or three years, Dram- especially since 2018. So the last two years in particular, LinkedIn has become a content site. Well, hmm. You're a B2B marketer, but because again, it goes back to what you can measure. Why do I like performance ads and ads? I measure it. I got X impressions to X clicks to X leads to X MQLs to blah, blah, blah. Whereas how do I measure the value of a view or a like or a comment? Well, I don't know. Right? Right? Well, and so yeah, back, I, back I, in the day of measuring eyeballs, yeah. You know, and and there's something to it, right? Of course, I'm not just mm-hmm. advocating for, you know, you just... You just do that. But, but I think there's a couple issues with organic right now. One is, is most marketers have it just wrong. And what I mean by that is that when you're posting, I'm just going to focus on LinkedIn, most of my B2B community. I think that's where you should be spending most of your time focused. Mm-hmm. I think, think there's applications 300%. on all platforms, but I'll just, I'll just talk about LinkedIn one. The, the first thing is don't look at LinkedIn and your page there as a lead generation or traffic generator. It's a massive mistake. That if you think that you're going to drive traffic to your blogs by posting it on LinkedIn, yeah, the, the biggest trick I can give you, if you want to, I'm going to give you one thing, and it's the dumbest thing. You want to triple your engagement on a post, post the exact same thing, but put the link in the comments. Why? Because mm. LinkedIn algorithm hates you to send people off site. Marketers, right. why don't you know that? Why don't you well, know that? And that's not new. This is that's not several new. years old. No, but how many posts will have like it makes no because guess what? Guess what? You can't do that in Hootsuite, Andy. In Hootsuite, I can't <laughs> auto comment. People still use Hootsuite. <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. I don't care what yeah. you're using. Hootsuite, right. hey, work. I don't care. The point is, it's not automated. We're right. looking like, like there are things, and I'm telling, like, you know, look at like, what does LinkedIn like? LinkedIn likes text only posts. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just what it likes. Guys, marketers, this is great. Your content people can be creative, and they can riff, and they can rip apart one of your eBooks and and make some commentary on it. I am telling you, and I'll just, this is the, these are the facts. Okay. 2018, May, Jake Dunlap scaled. I, we released the most amazing ebook, in my opinion, on GDPR. We summarized, like, if you're a marketing or sales leader, here's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we release it on social. It does okay. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are spent, we're putting out a blog post every week. We're doing, why are we doing this? I said, you know what? This is not how consumers want to consume on LinkedIn. They want nuggets, they want little bite size. And yeah. then guess what? For a year. We didn't post one ebook or blog post, and I started posting on LinkedIn every single day. Yep. 
That year, we generated probably close to 700,000. Last year, I mean, direct attribution to I found you on LinkedIn, I think we did 1.5 million. And we're mm-hmm. a small consulting firm. Right. Uh, we, we closed two, two, wait, one six-figure, one almost six-figure. It's now a six-figure deal. We closed one, two six-figure deals, right? In the last, what, probably like 10 months or so, because I'm going with the extreme use cases. Sure. Where the very first call was, I don't even know what you do. I swear to God. I don't even know what you do, but I, I think we need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how it started. It wasn't because I educated them on an ebook and all of our product set. I'm adding value, adding value, adding value. That is the game. You give, 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 and then you toss out a like. And guess what? When I, now, whenever I ask for something, because I only do it one in eight or 10 posts, guess what my response rate does? Boop. Yep. And so we've got to realize that social is about give not about come download, come click, and therefore you build brand equity that will generate real revenue that you can go back and attribute to that source. But I can't tell you that one LinkedIn post equaled $1. I don't no. know. That's but, what I can't tell you. <laughs> but expanding this to B2B sellers is they need to be posting on LinkedIn. Oh, this is part of their brand yes. building. And you know, it frustrates me no end when... To your point, you know, you talk to VPs of sales, you know, CROs, CMOs, and they actively discourage their sellers from doing it because they think it's a waste of time. Yep. And <laughs> you look at the companies who are doing it well, and there's this additive effect, not only just to the individual, but to the company as well. Exactly. And yeah, I, I'll tell people, and this is. I wouldn't hire an AE right now if they weren't active on LinkedIn. Yeah. And to your point, coupled with also having the numbers. Because to me, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be table stakes. Think about this. If I was, I was told some of this, if I was an SDR, I would destroy everybody. I already know it. I would, and I wouldn't, I, all I would do is cold calls and LinkedIn. I would, I would yeah. go like comment and then I would call you and say, Hey Andy, look, you popped up in my feed a couple of times. I really, this thing's really resonated Based on that, here's what we're doing here. Is it okay if I send you some details? If it makes sense, we can set up time. Does that work? Boom. Boom. Human connection. Human connection with a comment. Human connection with a comment. Human connection with a voice. Going back to your point, the human is the the main thing left in sales, right? But again, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, but then I saw something that was business value, et cetera. So I I feel like we are, but but guess what? As an SDR, I, I had to give this advice. I said, look, Wake up early in the morning at 7:30 a.m. Make all your fake ass cold calls. Sorry, Andy, might have to bleep that. And no. then just go. And then just go do what you should actually be doing. <laughs> like that's what <laughs> that's my advice to most SDRs. Whatever right. the dumb metrics your boss gives, go do that in the morning. Bing, 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 bing. And then go do. Then just go put your common sense cap on and go to work. That's great advice. Great advice. <laughs> oh man, use Ring DNA to make your dot. No, I'm kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> Of course, that's the most. Well, you got, well, I mean, there's, they've already heard the ad so far, but now yeah, exactly. there may be two ads by this point in the episode. So I love it. And Andy, I want to thank you, man. Let me tell you real quick, because I know we're wrapping up. Yeah. I want to thank you for the conversation on the relationship. I get on so many of these podcasts and it, it's just this, you know, like, oh yeah, Jacob, this is good. This is the stuff people need to hear because when people go out and pontificate and they can't, you can't have a dialogue about it. That's a problem. And that's a problem on LinkedIn right now is that mm-hmm. it's all a bunch of violent agreement and not enough <laughs> discourse. And discourse yeah. is healthy because there's people out there that are listening. And because of the way that we went back and forth, they're like, 
oh, so relationships are good because I really like the way that you defined it, you know, and, 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 and it kind of, okay, oh, you know, next time I'm going to put, I'm going to put a little tweak on the way that I describe it. But Andy, I, I, I really appreciated it. And I want you to know that, that it's, it's, it's important that we, we talk about these things and we have discourse so things we change and we get better. Well, I agree hundred percent. And I, I appreciate the fact that you are so thoughtful about it. You know, I follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, there's not many people. Well, as you said, people are pontificating without thinking about it. And you've actually put the time and effort clearly into thinking about it. And that's what we need. We need more voices like that in sales because it's going to change. And let's drive the change. I appreciate it. Jake, been a pleasure. If people want to contact you, how can they get hold of you? LinkedIn is, as you know, probably yes. probably a good place. I, Just know, I didn't have to say t- that. But. Type in Jake Dunlap on the first thing. The other thing is, look, we've invested a lot in YouTube. Um, so just type in Jake Dunlap sales. Um, and then look, if you, you know, if there's something that, that registered here, you know, look at it's scaled. We are focused on helping organizations to optimize um, and standardize you know, best practices and keep that always optimizing mindset. I, you know, we've started to, to, to hint at it, but mm-hmm. that's such a critical thing that I think that we do differently than other consulting firms is we're, we're focused on modern optimizing. And, and so hit me up, Jake at scaled, S-K-A-L-E-D.com. Uh, but again, if you're interested in the content, go to YouTube, go to, go to uh, LinkedIn. I put out everything that I know in my brain, you know, look, candidly, 99% of people, you don't even need to hire scale. Just go, if you, <laughs> you can piece together, <laughs> if you have a, a question that you could piece together the same solution. Um, but no, I, I appreciate it, Andy. And that's where to find me. All right. Great, Jake. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm ever so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Jake Dunlap, for putting up with me and for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing, but we'd certainly appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.